0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We're not going to be in a sermon series today. We want to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, right? By simply talking about the empty tomb. If you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 20. My message is simply entitled, Jesus is Alive. Why do you ask my title is Jesus is Alive? Because Jesus is Alive. John chapter 20. Let me go ahead and remind you of the week that we're in. We've talked a little bit about this But we actually call this week Passion Week. And it starts with Palm Sunday. We talked about that a little bit where Jesus, in fulfilling messianic prophecies, one being in Zechariah 9.9, where he enters into the city of Jerusalem. He was riding on a colt or a donkey, and the people were yelling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as they laid palm branches down before him. And he began to go over those palm branches It was declaring that Jesus Christ was King. Now, Jesus already knew He was King. His disciples already knew that He was Messiah. But this was a moment of fulfilling prophecies about the coming Messiah, preparing Jesus for His death, burial, and resurrection. We move on from Sunday in the Passion Week, and we look at Monday through Wednesday, and if you follow along with our study, which we posted online on our website, you'll see that Jesus does several things that are both significant in declaring that he is truly the King, truly he is the Messiah, and also the things that he wanted for his disciples to know so that they could continue his ministry. We fast forward all the way to Thursday, and by 6 p.m., that's where we see Jesus and his disciples. And they're gathered around the Passover feast. We call this sometimes the Last Supper. And if you read the book of John, right about chapter 13 and ongoing for several chapters, there are these significant moments where Jesus Christ is saying things to his disciples that they needed to know. In fact, he washes their feet and he tells them that those that do the same as he is doing unto them, that they are blessed. In their doing. And he talks to them about the soon incoming Holy Spirit, saying to them, It is better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come because he's with you, but he will be in you. And Jesus, of course, had to die and he had to rise again and ultimately ascend to the Father so that he could send the precious promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He talks to them about the Holy Spirit coming. He says many other things to them during that time. He calls them friends. He speaks to them clearly about his plan that he must die, that he must be rejected, and that he must rise again in three days. We know the disciples did not fully understand everything that Jesus was telling them at that time. In fact, he even tells them that. He says, the things that I'm saying to you, there are many more things that I would like to say to you, John chapter 16, but you cannot bear them now. Right after the Passover meal, the Bible shows them that they worship. They sing hymns to God together. And it's right after 12 a.m., just crossing over into Friday, where Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus. And we see that they come and they get Jesus. They bring him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and also the Sanhedrin, which is the, the ruling council Of that day. They question Jesus, they accuse him, they mock him, they formally condemn him. By 6 a.m., he appears before Pontius Pilate, and then he moves from Pontius Pilate after being questioned to Herod, and then from Herod back to Pontius Pilate, where he is questioned again, he's accused again, and Pontius Pilate realizes that he's an innocent man. He washes his hands of the whole thing, which in reality, you simply cannot do. Everybody must do something with Jesus, he tries to wash his hands of that, but Jesus is condemned to death after he is beaten and ridiculed and really beaten beyond belief. He's condemned to death, death by way of crucifixion, which was the death of a criminal. We know as the story goes that they take Jesus to a place called Golgotha, otherwise known as the place of the skull. Some scholars believe they called it that because many died there, many prisoners, in fact, Had died there, so they called it the place of death. He was crucified with a sign above his head that read, This is the King of the Jews. And it was written in Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew. And it was really just sarcastic in a sense. They were mocking him by nailing this sign above his head saying, This is your King. Look at him, crucified. Look at him suffering, bleeding, dying. And they were mocking him by putting that sign there. But we know that this sign was prophetic because this was not only the king of the Jews, but Jesus was the king of the whole world. He was crucified at 9 a.m. By 3 p.m., we know that Jesus actually dies. He hung on the cross for six hours, suffering and pain. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. And before he dies, he famously says, it is finished. And we read about in Scripture how the veil was rent in two. There was an earthquake that shook, and many other significant things happened. Even the Roman guard that was standing watching when Jesus gave up his spirit, saying, It is finished, said, This surely is the Son of God. Well, we know that Jesus was buried that very Friday in a tomb outside the city. The Sanhedrin prompted Pilate to ensure that the tomb was sealed because of the rumor that Jesus would rise from the dead. Now, nobody believed that he would rise from the dead, but there was a rumor as to what might happen with Jesus after his death. And so they thought maybe somebody would try to steal the body and proclaim that he had risen. And so they wanted to ensure that Pontius Pilate secure the tomb. And so that's exactly what Pontius Pilate does. He dispatches some soldiers and they roll a a massive stone in front of the mouth of the tomb, one that couldn't, it was impossible for one man or even two men to move this stone. And they would take this moldable type clay with the imperial imprint of Rome, and they would tie a, they would tie a rope around this stone and put that clay over it. And anybody that would break that, that seal would incur the, uh, the, the imperial wrath against them. You can imagine that this was a very serious thing to have these guards, to have this seal. and Jesus was in the tomb for three days. He's in there Friday. He's in there Saturday. It's the silent Sabbath. But then Sunday comes. Sunday is that day, that moment that we are standing in and celebrating right now. And in doing that, what I would like to do today is I would like to read John chapter 20, verse 1 through 19. And as I said, if you have a Bible, please go ahead. And take that out and you can read along. I'm reading in the New American Standard Version and this is what it says. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there as well. And the face cloth, which which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned to him and said, In Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I will be ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. Verse 19, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Can you imagine that moment? The resurrected Christ looking at you. You watched the crucifixion. You watched him die. The entire entire procession, all that had transpired, and Jesus appears in front of you and says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this passage in light of the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is alive, I simply want to highlight some observations that I've made, four observations, in fact, Because Jesus is alive, number one, we know that his words can be trusted. In verse eight, it says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And listen, it says, he saw and he believed. We know this verse is speaking of none other than John himself. John is the one who, of course, wrote this gospel, calling it the gospel of John is what we do today. And John was speaking of himself that this was actually a moment Where he saw something that caused him to believe, because as of yet, he did not understand what Jesus had been telling him, that Jesus must rise in three days. But right now, in this moment, he believed. The question may be, what did he actually believe? Well, he believed Jesus was the Messiah, I'm sure that he had been doubting for the last several days. I'm sure that doubt had entered into his mind, that he was struggling. He was wrestling, grappling with all the things that Jesus had said. And now he believed he was the Messiah. He believed that he rose from the dead. He recalled how Jesus had actually been telling him and the other disciples this very thing. He also knew in that moment that all of the other teachings and the truths that Jesus conveyed to him And of course, the other disciples could be trusted. Why? Because Jesus had risen from the dead. Nobody had risen from the dead. If Jesus had risen from the dead, that means that his words can be trusted. Now, just for a moment, can we imagine all that the disciples had gone through? We're just talking about John. John, having walked with Jesus for three years, heard his teaching seen his miracles, watched his ministry, had even received authority and power and even ministered in that very power that he had witnessed in Jesus Christ. Jesus had been preparing him. Jesus had been speaking to him. They shared personal and intimate moments over a period of three years and to walk through the Passion Week, knowing now that Jesus is the Messiah, I can imagine the confusion, how perplexed that he was when Jesus was taken When Jesus was beaten beyond recognition, I can't even imagine the moment or what it would have felt like for the disciples to see Jesus Christ, who they know and it has been confirmed to them that he is the Messiah, the King of Israel, to watch this happen to him and then to stand there when he was one of the few disciples that was there at the cross while Jesus was being crucified and he hung on the cross for six hours Maybe John was waiting. Maybe his heart was hopeful that Jesus somehow, some way, that this wouldn't end up the way that it did. Saturday was probably a very lonely, disillusioned, perplexing day for him and all of of the other followers of Jesus. I bet you he was doubting the words of Jesus. I bet you that he was experiencing a heaviness that is hard for us to probably convey. It's hard for me to help us understand. It's, it's something that wasn't just in his mind. It was something that he was feeling in his soul. I bet he was vexed. I bet he was walking through incredible pain and turmoil. Remembering the things that Jesus said. Like Jesus would say, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, it sure doesn't look like that's the case. Jesus would say to them, where I am going, I will prepare a place for you. And there you will be with me also doesn't seem like that. They, they didn't have that concept now. John wasn't thinking like that, that the suffering, the burial, and the resurrection, like he didn't put it all together, that this was a heavenly reality that Jesus was speaking about, but now he's questioning. Remember how Jesus would tell them that those that believe upon him, they shall have eternal life. Now, they've just witnessed their Messiah die, and this wasn't their theology How confusing that must have been. How much doubt he must have had towards all of the teachings, all of the words, and all of the ministry of Jesus. Now in this moment, standing in the tomb, remembering that Jesus did in fact say that he would rise in three days, all of that confusion in John's mind broke in a moment. And that's exactly what happens for us. In a moment, all of the confusion, the turmoil, the doubt can break. Why? Because Jesus is alive. You should look at your neighbor right now and smile and say, Jesus is alive. Why? Because it's true. Jesus is alive, which means that we can trust his words. Friends, there are, there are many religions in the world, and there have been many leaders who lead all of these religions and said all of these words and shared all of their teachings, and there's something that all of them have in common. All of those leaders are dead Jesus is alive. Listen to me very carefully. This is what distinguishes Christianity from everything else, is that the one that we are following, the one that taught us Christianity, the one that the, of the words that we are teaching and preaching and believing and following, our leader is not dead, unlike every, every other religion in the entire world. He is alive. All of the other words of all of the other religions they can be shared, they can be debated, they can be propagated, but can they be trusted? Can they be trusted like the words of Jesus? That's the question that we have today. And the answer, as far as I'm concerned, as for me in my house, the words of Jesus can be trusted because he is alive. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that what he said was true. He said that he is the way to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me Jesus said that we could be forgiven of our sins Jesus said that we would have eternal life Jesus said that those who believe upon him he has given them the right to become children of God that we you and I are sons and daughters of God when we choose to believe upon Jesus he will not force it upon us but he invites us to it and he paid for this right for you and for me with his own life it is been sealed by his blood and it has been approved and attested by his resurrection. Paul said to the Corinthians, this very thought that I am conveying to us in this First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17 and 18, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing Christ are lost. This is what he's talking about. He's talking to a people that had heard that Jesus himself had not raised from the dead and they also believed that they too would not be resurrected. So 1 Corinthians 15 is devoted. It's a chapter that is fully devoted and furnished with the concept that Jesus died Jesus rose again, and because he rose again, we will rise. And those that are teaching falsely, those that are teaching error, those that are saying otherwise are wrong because the fact is either he rose or he didn't rise. But if he didn't rise, everything that we believe as Christians, Everything that we preach, everything that we follow, it is all useless and meaningless because he had to have risen for those things to be true. Our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus. This is what the apostles preached. They saw him raised with their own eyes. We are reading the words of eyewitnesses, and so his words can be trusted not just hearsay, not just from somebody that heard about, that heard about, that heard about, but we have it recorded from eyewitnesses that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, and we can trust his words. The second observation that I want to make from this passage is because Jesus is alive, his transformation can be permanent. We read here in verse 1 that it, how it says Mary Magdalene, and we know from other gospel accounts that there might have been others, of course, with her, But she went to the tomb early in the morning. She wanted to see the body of Jesus. She at least wanted to stand there and see that the tomb was sealed. She wanted to have a sense of peace or or whatever she needed to walk through her grief and her pain. She was living in disillusionment. She found the tomb empty. And with great concern, she runs to Peter. And she tells Peter and John that the stone has been rolled away and that the tomb is empty. We don't even know how much she waited to see and how much she was able to say to both Peter and John before she just simply ran out of there. She just knew that the body was no longer there. She tells Peter and John, Peter and John, run there. And the next thing we know about Mary is in verse 11. She's standing there right outside the tomb, and she is weeping bitterly. Her heart is crushed. Why was she weeping? That's a question that I wanna look at today. Why was Mary Magdalene weeping? Well, one reason probably could be that we read in Luke chapter 8 and Mark 16, that Mary was a demonized woman. She had a very serious past. And it tells us explicitly that Jesus Christ cast seven demons out of Mary. Mary, after that point, after receiving her freedom and her transformation from Jesus, we know that she she ends up attending to the disciples and to the ministry of the Lord Jesus she is now in the company of the disciples although not called a disciple not called an apostle per se she is very significant to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ her life was transformed she would never be the same so she gave herself completely and totally to Jesus and his ministry knowing that He is the only one that has ever offered her this kind of change, this kind of transformation. She went from from vexed to valuable, from enslaved to empowered, from tormented to transformed. She is a person who experienced thoroughly and completely the transformational power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the tail end of Jesus' life, hear her knowing he has all this power knowing that he is great and mighty, knowing that he's set apart and there's no one like him. Through the Passion Week, she too watches Jesus go through all of that pain, beaten and scourged and mocked and spit upon and ridiculed and persecuted at the highest level. She knows he's innocent. She's confused about what's happening. How could this be happening to the one that has the kind of power that can evict seven demons out of my life. Look at me, I'm never, I've never been like this before. I'll never be the same. I, I, I came from this life of being demonized and, and looked down upon and he restored to me dignity and value and now everybody's killing an innocent man. She's confused, her heart is crushed. She too, like John, was actually there at the foot of the cross in that moment where Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. The pain that was in her heart, the crushing that she was experiencing in her soul, the disillusionment that she carried. Part of why I think Mary was weeping when she came to the empty tomb, not knowing or realizing that Jesus had risen from the dead, at least that wasn't her first thought, of course. She's wondering if she's going to go back. She's wondering if If Jesus isn't here anymore, does that mean the demons are going to come back into my life? See, to her, Jesus didn't just give her freedom. Jesus was her freedom. His presence in her life was her freedom. It wasn't just a gift that she was given. It was the person of Jesus that she was connected to. It was the power and the person of Jesus that she was following. And now Jesus is no longer present and I think maybe she's wondering, at least this is what I think. Maybe she's wondering, am I going to go back now? Are the demons going to come back and live in me? Is this how life is going to be? How, could it, how can I live without the presence of Jesus? And so she's weeping bitterly. She's vexed. She's wondering about what life is going to be like. I can't go back. Two angels appear there in the tomb one on the top and one on the bottom, and they ask her, why are you weeping? And she responds with sort of the obvious that Jesus' body has been taken, and I don't know where his body is. And she turns around and Jesus appears to her, but she doesn't recognize him. And Jesus asks her the same question, why are you weeping? And he says to him, if you know where he is or if you put his body somewhere, will you just tell me? And Jesus says this to her, and I love this. He says, Mary, Mary. And I don't know how it was said. I wasn't there. It's hard to understand the grammar, but I just just know it was this endearing term where he would call her name and she would recognize the voice of her shepherd, Mary. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And it it shares with us this picture where she clung to him. I imagine her collapsing, realizing that this is actually the living, breathing Jesus. I can't even imagine what She was walking through at that time. She's clinging to him, and he says to her, "'Do not cling to me.'" Listen, she walked through doubt. She walked through disillusionment. She walked through incredible pain. But at the end of it, when she saw the empty tomb, she didn't realize he had been risen, but Jesus once again revealed himself to Mary, showed her that he he is not just Jesus in the natural, but supernaturally, he is the risen Christ, And all of that pain that she was experiencing, all of that confusion, just like John, broke in a moment. And here she is, just flooded into her heart, faith. Here's what I wanna ask you today. Have you experienced doubt? Have you been transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then as you've walked down the road and lived as a Christian, you've experienced things that were opposite of what you believed and and what you had read about what Jesus does in our lives? All of a sudden, you're getting tempted. All of a sudden, you're experiencing trials. You're walking through incredible pain that the one who overcame things in your life and on your behalf, all of a sudden, it seems like you can't overcome anything. It seems that you succumb to rather than overcome. Have you walked through some pain, some trials, some difficulty in your life, and you've all of of a sudden questioned what Jesus' words say? Maybe you've questioned, is my transformation real? Is the power that I experienced, was that meant to be permanent or was it simply temporary? Was it just an emotionalism? Was I just excited? Was it just some kind of of, of false expectation? No, friend, it was real. We walk through life. We walk through pain. We all experience doubt. And hear me when I say this. Every one of us will experience doubt. Doubt is an experience. Unbelief is a practice. What we do with our doubt truly matters. We're gonna experience it. You don't need to feel guilty about that. But what we need to know is what we do with our doubt. We wanna take our doubt and we wanna give it to Jesus. Jesus will show up in our life. Why? Because he is alive. If he's alive, then he will continually and consistently show us that he is real and he will show up in our lives. And the deliverance and the salvation And the freedom and the healing that we have experienced is not temporary. It is permanent, both now and into eternity. What Jesus has given us, it will not be taken away. Friend, all we need to do is turn to the risen Christ. Continue to look upon Jesus. The tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the dead. And that means that our freedom and that our transformation and our deliverance can be realized again. This is what the Apostle Paul says at least three times in the book of Romans. We read it in verse, verse 11 of chapter eight. He says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, that means that we can be transformed. And right now, I don't, I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what, ex, what experience you are having right now. I don't know if you're struggling or wrestling with doubt shame or guilt no longer looking at Jesus no longer considering how powerful he is that he that he rose from the dead that that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you if you believe in him maybe you've lost sight of what Jesus can actually do. Today is a day to draw near to him. Today is a day to look up to him from where comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one that raises people from the dead, starting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be reminded today that the resurrection tells us and speaks to us about his mighty power working in our lives, certainly in Mary's life and definitely in ours. The third thing that we see from this passage or at least observation that I want to make is because Jesus is alive, his return can be expected. In verse 17, Jesus told Mary not to cling to him because he needed to ascend to his father. He says to her, go tell my disciples, my brethren, that I must ascend to my father I must ascend to the Father in heaven. I want them to know that. But Jesus in Acts chapter eight, the disciples are asking him, is it now that you're gonna come into your kingdom? See, they had a kingdom theology that the Messiah was gonna rise up with military and political power and call the nation of Israel to his side to rule and to reign. They did not understand the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. They didn't fully comprehend the resurrection, but now they're standing in that resurrection, in the book of Acts, chapter one, they're talking to Jesus right before he ascends to be with the Father, which is what he tells Mary he's going to do right here in this passage. And they're asking him, based out of their theology, they're still, they still have some thinking that isn't quite accurate. They've grown up thinking these kinds of things about the Messiah. Now they know he truly is. Now they know he's raised from the dead. So they can't imagine him ascending, even though he's telling them that that is what he needs to do. He tells them that he's gonna go away, but he's going to come back. The risen Christ is gonna ascend and he's also gonna descend at a specific time. When they ask him, is it at this time that you're going to reign in your kingdom? Is it at this time that you're gonna overthrow Rome? Is it at this time that you're gonna break the oppression? Is it at this time that the nation of Israel is gonna come alongside you to rule and reign? Is now the time, that's what they ask him, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons, the day or the hour, for those things have been fixed by the Father and no one knows the times. No one knows the day, but, but you You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He tells his disciples before he ascends, I don't want you to focus on when the end will come. Just know that the end will come, and I will come. I will come back to you. And Jesus wanted them to focus what? On his mission and his ministry. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And I want you to go out over all the earth and I want you to spread this message, and I want you to share what you have seen and what you have heard. What have they seen and heard? Well, they've heard Jesus teaching for three years, but now they've seen him raised from the dead, and that is what the apostles preached. They preached the resurrected Jesus. They gave their lives to preach the message of a resurrected man. Many were angry at them for this, and they ultimately gave their lives. They paid the price. They became a living sacrifice and they are an example to us, but it's important for us to realize that they lived with a holy expectation of the coming of Christ. See, they believed because they had seen him, they believed that he was going to come back soon. They thought he was going to come back in their lifetime. You see that all throughout the letters in the New Testament, whether it's John talking, or it's the apostle Peter, or it's Paul. In the letters, you see that there was this very serious expectation. There was this urgency that was imparted through those letters. When we read the Bible and we read it honestly and we read it clearly, we can get that urgency. We, we have that sense that Jesus is gonna return. Nobody knows the day or the hour. He could come tomorrow, he could come next year, he could, t- he could come five years. Sometimes we don't live with that expectation in our hearts. We need to glean from this moment. We need to glean from from what the apostles lived with. They lived with the reality of a risen Christ, never knowing what might happen. See, now they were ruined in the right way forever. See, they were living, they they would wake up in the morning and they would go to sleep at night knowing that their Jesus might come back. Do you think that way today? Do you think in in a daily way? Do you remember, do you contemplate, do you cultivate a holy expectation of the risen Christ coming back as a conquering king. We know that he gave his life, he laid his life down as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he's coming back as the lion of Judah. He's coming back as a conquering king that every Every eye will see, every ear will hear, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Everyone is going to acknowledge when he comes in his glory with his holy angels. The Bible says that it's like lightning from the east to the west. Everybody's gonna see. Nobody's going to get to make a decision in those days because the decision will be made for us. Jesus will reveal himself to the entire earth. Every person will know. But you and I live with the holy expectation that his return is imminent. We do not know when it will happen, but here's what we do know. We know that we have the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ that has been entrusted to us. What are we doing with it? If we're living in light of his his coming, if we're living with an expectation of his coming, we don't want to be found just loose living. We don't want to be found living and giving over to the flesh. We want to be found that we were waiting, that we were longing for, that we were crying out on the earth for Jesus to come. There's something they used to say in the early church and the word that we use today or has been used is Maranatha or so come Lord Jesus. It's how the book of Revelation ends. So come Lord Jesus. We don't say that as a passive statement. We say that in expectation. We say that in active service. We say that with the gospel of Jesus on our lips and good works in our hands, we say, come, Lord Jesus. We live our life this way. Because Jesus is alive, we can live with a very real expectation that our King is going to return. This is not a fiction story. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some comforting fable that we tell people on their deathbed. This is a living reality that Jesus is alive. The tomb was empty 2,000 years ago, and it is still empty. Every leader of every other religion, they're all dead, but not ours. Jesus is alive. The last thing that I wanna share with you here is an observation. Because Jesus is alive, his church should be bold. In verse 21, Jesus later appears to his disciples and he says peace be with you as the father has sent me now I send you I don't know if you saw that rhyme or not every now and again Northwest Church you're you're wondering why Pastor Ben comes up with all these rhymes I'm just trying to follow the resurrected Christ I'm just trying to follow my savior peace be with you as the father has sent me now come on I send you I'm getting it right from Jesus I'm telling you it's really godly amen i i 'm hoping that you 're smiling today i 'm hoping that you 're laughing with me today see i 'm preaching to a very very uh empty room, but i 'm not preaching to empty hearts. We are preaching about the empty tomb that 's for sure and i 'm rhyming while I do it because i 'm getting it right from the Bible. If you ever wonder where i 'm getting it from now you know well we, he says to his disciples, as the Father sends me now I send you. He was sent as a singular, but he said, I send you plural. I'm sending you as my people. I'm sending you as as my body. What you saw in me is now what people will see in you. How was Jesus sent? Well, first of all, he was sent by the love of the Father. We see that in John chapter three and verse 16. We also know that Jesus was sent with the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized In the river Jordan, the Spirit of God came upon him. It says that in the form of a dove descended upon him. The Spirit came upon Jesus without measure. And it was in that moment that Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil three separate times. And he overcame the devil while he was fasting and he was praying. Forty days later, the Bible says that he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he came out of the wilderness, Jesus began to go around from town to town, from city to city, from region to region. And he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10 tells us that he went about doing good he preached the kingdom, he was healing sickness and diseases, and he was casting out demons of those that were oppressed by the devil. Jesus was sent in power. And I know because the, G, the disciples of Jesus experienced authority and power. When he told them, as the Father sent me, now I send you, they knew that what they had been prepared for, what they had tasted, what they had seen, what they had experienced, what they had watched, that that was the ministry that they were called to also carry. They were not just witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. They were living pieces of evidence. Their own lives were the evidence that could convince and convey the risen Christ to the people that they were preaching to. The spirit of God fills us that we too will heal the sick, that we too will cast out demons, that we too will serve the poor, we too will bless the children and raise up the next generation, that we too will touch the lepers or the untouchable, that we will confront the religious hypocrisy that holds people back from knowing Jesus, and we will preach the kingdom of God everywhere, that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift of God, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast that we as his church are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and we're sent forth with the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We can be bold witnesses of Jesus. We're witnesses of his sacrifice. We're witnesses of his transforming power in our lives. Has Jesus changed your life? Has he transformed you? Has he set you free? Has he forgiven you of your sin? Has he given you a new heart? Has he given you a fresh start? Has Jesus done something for you? Because if he has... If he has you and I, we are witnesses of what we have both seen and what we have heard, what we have experienced, what we have tasted, what we have touched, what we have known to be true. We are witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our life is to be found in this, that we are constantly and consistently telling people about the love and the goodness and the truth and the power of God through Jesus Christ. This is what our life is all about. This is what we are to be found faithful, speaking about and living for at the end of our life when, God's, when we stand before the Lord at the end of our life and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. What does faithful mean? Faithful to what? Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to the one that gave his life for us. Faithful to the one that proved to us that he loved us more than we could ever know that he gave his own life so that you and I could have eternal life. There is no other religion that preaches this. There is no other God that shows us anything like this, a God that does not expect to be placated, but a God that would show us, I will give my life in exchange for you if you would simply just follow me. The choice that I give to you that I place in your heart and in your hands, all I ask is that you give it back to me. The life that I've given you, all I ask is that you give that same life that was simply a gift, that you give it back to me. In exchange, I will give you eternal life. I will take away your pain. I will take away your shame. I will take away the sin, the mess that you've made of your own life, and I will give you a brand new life. This is the good news. Church, we can be bold. If you love Jesus, go ahead and say amen. If you know Jesus, go ahead and say amen. You can be bold. What else is there to be bold about other than the one that was so bold on our behalf? The one that came up out of the tomb, raised from the dead to new life. Listen, we can be bold for Jesus. Nothing else is worthy of our boldness. When you think about the word word boldness, what does it mean in the Bible? Does it mean to be brash or brazen? No, it means to have freedom of speech. The word in the Bible literally means to be free in your speech, that we would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the very power of God unto salvation. I am not the man that I once was. If you follow Jesus, you are not the person that you once were. You have been changed. You have been washed. You have been renewed in your mind. You have been given a new way and a new life. We celebrate today. We are reminded of the resurrection. This powerful day, this powerful moment where Jesus proved beyond a shadow of a doubt and he did it before all principalities and powers, that of the heavens and that of the earth, that he is in fact who he said he was. That he will in fact do what he said he will do. We can trust and we can believe in this Jesus We don't have a dead Jesus, and we shouldn't be a dead church. What good is a dead Jesus? We have a Jesus who is alive, but listen to this. What good is having an alive head on a dead body? It is no good. We want to have a living head. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are his body. We want to be as living as our head is, that one and the same together as his family, together as a body, that we are alive Because Jesus is alive, we can be alive and we can be bold to tell the whole world that Jesus lives, that Jesus lives, that Jesus Christ lives. This is not a dead religion. Make no no mistake about it, the claim of Christianity is that Jesus willingly died. Nobody took his life. Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and for me. We know this as we follow the crucifixion story. We preach that He died for the forgiveness of our sins, that He rose from the dead to prove that He was God's one and only Son. The Bible teaches us this, that those who confess Jesus Christ is Lord, that He has risen from the dead, they confess with their mouth and they believe in their heart, He has risen from the dead. Those who do that, it is placing their faith in Jesus that they shall be saved. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody, if you're watching me right now, I don't want you to tune off. I want you to listen. If you have not given your life to Jesus, if you're living right where you are and you say, Ben, I, I've never done that. I've never confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, in my heart, I've, I've never believed, not that I'm aware of, that he has risen from the dead. This is not an experience that I've had. I just, I've never trusted Jesus with my life. I've never given him my life. I've never considered that he's alive. Today is your day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? You and I need a savior. We have this disposition of sin and we need something and someone more powerful than us to bring us out of ourselves and to give us a new life. You may say, Ben, I want my life to be a little better. You don't want your life to be a little better. What you and I need is a brand new life. And that's what Jesus offers us the life that he intended for each one of us. He made us, he paid for us to come back into the very design for which he created us. And that's that you and I would be children of God. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you find yourself in this moment where you know you need something and you know you need to change, I'm saying to you this, you don't just need to change, you need to turn over your life to him and he will change you from the inside out. I believe that there could be people right now watching me, and you haven't done that yet. You haven't given your life to Jesus. You don't call yourself a Christian. I'm not asking you to sign up for a religion. I'm not asking you to come to my church. I'm not asking you for money. I'm saying that 21 years ago, me, I made the decision to follow Jesus. I was not a believer at 19, and I turned my life over to Jesus. I remember the day where I said to him, Almost two o'clock in the morning, sitting on my bedroom floor. Jesus, if you're real, I need you to show me. Just like Jesus showed up for Mary. He showed up for John. He showed up for the disciples, 500 other people. He showed himself risen from the dead. I heard the voice of God in my bedroom on that day, 21 years ago, and he said to me, I love you and I always have. He spoke to me. He is a living Christ. He has a living voice. This word, this Bible that we preach, it is a living word. It's not text on a page. It is true. It is living. It is alive. The words that I say to you, you can feel them in your heart. And that's what I experienced those years ago where I got to the end of myself. And I didn't fully know what I needed, but I know I needed someone bigger than myself. That much I did know. I needed a Savior. You need a Savior. If you're watching this and you've never given your life to Jesus and you know today is that day, you say, Ben, I don't know why I know this, but I know this. I know I need to do what you're saying. I want you to pray this prayer with me. We call it the prayer of salvation. And so all you need to do is confess Jesus Christ as Lord as you already believe in your heart because you can tell something is happening in you right now. Pray this prayer with me. Just follow along right where you are. Say, Father, I thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. He gave his life and he rose from the dead, proving that he is your son. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he rose from the dead. I receive the forgiveness of my sins and I give you my life. I turn from my own ways. I don't wanna go back to that life anymore. I pray that you would give me a brand new life. Now, right now, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you. Lead me in your ways everlasting. And I thank you today that you have revealed yourself to me in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer today, maybe it's the first time, maybe it's not the first time, but you just haven't been sure, would you say something? Will you email me? I just want to have you acknowledge that you've prayed that prayer would you say something on social media? Tell somebody. It's a good time for us to take what's inside of our heart and bring it out of our mouth, right? The, the Bible says the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So if it's overflowing right now, say something, tell somebody. It's really important. I would love to meet you. You don't have to sign up for anything. I just would love to meet you. I'd love to talk to you more about Jesus. I'd love to help you consider what you have given yourself to and who it is that you're following, Now, maybe you're watching me and you say, Ben, well, I am a Jesus follower. I've given my life to Jesus, but maybe you're not in the right place. Maybe you are trying to follow Jesus, but you've been avoiding. Maybe you've been backsliding is the word that we use. You've been walking in different ways. You've you've been doing things that you're not proud of. Now, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all being conformed to the image of his son. But maybe what you would say to me today is that, Ben, I'm not really walking with Jesus. I haven't read his word in a long time. I haven't heard his voice in a long time. Maybe you haven't even been to church in a long, long time, and here you are watching me, watching this guy, and I'm talking to you, and I get to say this to you. You can come back home. Just because you've walked away from him does not mean that he's walked away from you. You can always surrender yourself to him. You can always come back into that close relationship. See, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But that doesn't mean that we don't ever walk away from him. And maybe you could say that today. You could say, Ben, I've walked away from Jesus. I've walked away from that close relationship. Maybe you were frustrated. Maybe you were upset. I don't know what happened. Maybe you lost someone and you became disillusioned. Maybe you can relate to Mary. Maybe you can relate to John. They walked through pain, difficulty, disillusionment, doubt, But Jesus showed up and he showed up strong and he wants to do that for you today. Could you acknowledge that you need to surrender? Pray this prayer with me if that's you. You need to surrender your heart today to Jesus. You already know him, you've already prayed, but today is a day of surrender for you. It's time to wave the white flag. And so pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I turn from the life that I've been living. I acknowledge that there is nothing for me there. And so I repent, which means I turn from that, and I turn to you. I recognize and I acknowledge that you have risen from the dead, showing that you have all power, and I place my life in your hands. I ask you that you would fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit, that I could live what the Bible teaches. I want to live for you. Would you now break the shame? Would you break the false guilt over my life? Would you forgive me and cleanse me from my sin? And would you help me, Lord, to give to others what you've given to me? Help me to live for you in a way that is significant, in a way that I've always wanted to. I love you, Lord, and I thank you that you have never left me and you have never forsaken me. In Jesus' mighty name. Now go ahead and say amen. Hey, acknowledge that you've prayed that prayer. You've prayed a prayer of surrender. What better day to do it than resurrection sunday what better day to say i surrender to jesus than when we acknowledge the week in which jesus full he gave himself for us proving his absolute complete and thorough love this is that day thank you for praying with me after every service including easter sunday i pray and the lord speaks to my heart we know he's risen from the dead, and if he's risen from the dead, then he speaks. Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. We still can hear his voice. And as I was praying over our service, I want to share with you some words that the Lord put in my heart for someone that might be watching right now. Today, the Lord showed me that there would be somebody watching, and death is very close to you. You lost somebody, or maybe you're losing someone right now. You're walking with grief and you're about to experience grief. And I I believe that Jesus wanted me to remind you today on a day of celebration of life where you are experiencing death in a very real way that Jesus' resurrection swallowed up death. He wants to remind you that hope is real, that he is real And you know who this is. I'm speaking right to you. He wants to remind you that his resurrection swallowed up death. So while you may be grieving, and you shouldn't feel guilty for that, you can also feel in that tension. You can feel hope, and you can feel joy, and it isn't wrong. It's not wrong to have joy enter in and fill your heart right now, the joy of your salvation. And we know the hope, the hope of those that have fallen asleep or died in Christ, that they will rise, and we too shall rise with them. The Lord showed me that, and reminded me also He showed me some things about sickness and disease there's somebody right now you 're watching me, and you have migraine headaches, and they 're really bad. In fact, I had a vision where I saw like somebody's hand on your head just pulsating, and it just feels like a pulsating like a just you can 't get rid of it it's It's horrible when it comes, when it happens to you. You just feel like you can't function. You experience these things. I believe that the Lord is bringing healing to you today. In fact, right now, we pray over whoever that is with migraine headaches. Be healed in the name of the Lord Jesus. By the authority of Jesus, the risen risen one, the great physician, the one who heals us of all our sicknesses, of all our diseases, we prophesy over you now. Be healed in the name of the Lord Jesus. We command the migraines to leave, the pain to flee, and that you would receive rest and you would receive healing. Maybe you don't even know the causation of why this happens and doesn't matter, but today we just know the one that brings healing. That's what we need to know. I also saw someone with arthritis in their hands and it's almost like goes to tennis elbow where you feel like it starts with your hands, but it goes all the way to your elbows at times where you can't even lift things and it affects your elbows just as much as your hands. And I just saw there was arthritis. Somebody was struggling with that. So we pray today in Jesus' name for healing power to wash over that arthritis, to remove it right now. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would release the gift of healing on Resurrection Sunday to whoever might be struggling with that right here and right now. Father, we thank you. Lay your hands upon your sons and your daughters. And we just pray over any healing that's needed. If you need healing, just put out your hands before the Lord. Let's pray right now together. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would pour out your spirit. We believe and we confess that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us The same power that we see in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the same power that we believe is released as we pray, as your people pray, that you still heal. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we speak over everybody that is sick, whether it's cancer, any type of disease, whether it's illness, whether it's the coronavirus. We speak healing over our family. We speak healing over our church. We speak healing over our father, over our mother, over our sons and our daughters today. We thank you for your healing power. Come, Holy Spirit, and release your power among us. We thank you, God. We pray now that you would heal our land. Last but not least, I I saw a picture, and this was of a woman, and you were deeply concerned about your sister. And I want to say that your sister was in a hospital, but it was something like that. It wasn't a hospital, but it was they were in a place that, um, where they needed care, and it wasn't a hospital, but it was just something of acknowledging that they need that type of care. They really need help. And so I just believe that the Lord is saying to you that He's going to use you to encourage and to bring wisdom to your sister in this time. They might not be asking you for help right now, but they actually need help. And here's what I would say to you. It's not a time to hold back. Be bold. They really do need the help that you're discerning. And so I would encourage you to reach out, to invite in, to seek to give wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to open that door and we pray right now over you for the wisdom that you need. Lord, would you give wisdom in Jesus' name to reach our loved ones, to reach our family members today. Maybe that's just indicative of what you wanna do in and through all of us, that we can reach out to our family and we're not meant to hold back. That Resurrection Sunday is a reminder that you came and you died for all of us and you rose again so that every person could also have resurrection life one day as they choose to follow you. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to reach out to family members, just as this one that I indicated would do that. We thank you, Lord. We worship you today in Jesus' mighty name. Go ahead and say amen wherever you are. Now, instead of a benediction, I think there's something that we say on Resurrection Sunday, but I can't hear you say it back. I'm trusting that you're going to say so. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks for listening.